the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within us, this is Contending for the Faith with Dr. Jerry Buckner. And now, to introduce Dr. Jerry Buckner, here's Gary Bell. Well, good evening and welcome to another exciting edition of Contending for the Faith. We are the cutting-edge Christian apologetic ministry addressing the issues and challenges facing today's church for the next hour with your host, Bay Area pastor, lecturer, counselor, professor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. Well, tonight we bring you part 18. Can you believe it? We are 18 episodes into our series on the doctrine of the Trinity. This essential doctrine of the Christian faith is one of the most controversial teachings in the Bible. The doctrine of the Trinity has been misunderstood, it's been maligned, it's been attacked, denied, eisegeted throughout history, going all the way back to the Arian heresy under Arius Alexander. So the big question is, why is there so much biblical illiteracy when it comes to this doctrine, particularly in our churches, and what can we do to disciple people in this essential teaching? Well, for the answer to this and much, much more, stay tuned. For we are not pretending, we are contending for the faith. Dr. Buckner, how are you tonight? Brother Gary Bell, I am truly blessed. And thank you so much for that challenging and uplifting introduction. And we want to thank everybody out there in Radio Land for joining us for another edition of Contending for the Faith. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. And we know that you're going to be blessed by our program tonight. So we want to encourage you to get your Bibles and get your pens and your paper and get to a table so that you can get ready to enter into Bible college and seminary teaching. All righty. Well, we've been uh, doing this series, as Brother Gary has said, for a good while now. We're on part 18. And what a series it's been. What a blessed series it's been. And we have talked about and we've demonstrated that uh, throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, God has been called one God, not two, three, four, but one God. And that that one God has been called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you don't have to be a great logician to figure that out. You just have to have a basic working knowledge of the Word of God to know that's what the Bible teaches. That is not speculation, that's revelation. Now, uh, we want to uh, educate you. Uh, and share something with you from an apologetic standpoint that's very important at this point. Uh, because, um, you know, you need to understand uh, in sharing the Trinity to believers as well as non-believers, that there are several things that you need to know in sharing the truth of the Trinity. Uh, number one, in sharing the Trinity, you never start off with Trinitarian texts. 
That's what we're going to be getting into uh, tonight. You never start off with Trinitarian text because, um, you know, a very sharp person uh, will accuse you of circular reasoning. What is, what is circular reasoning? That is, it means that you, they will accuse you of circling around whatever you are trying to prove or demonstrate without giving first, giving the basis of the foundation of your faith or trust in God. So we don't want to be accused of circular reasoning. And then number two, in sharing the Trinity, you, you demonstrate first from uh, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books that God is called one God. And that one God is called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what you do uh, in sharing the Trinity. And that's why we have used, and I've used in my book, the if propositions supporting the Trinity. And so, and then thirdly, when you've done that, you are ready to share the Trinitarian text. Now, this is important for you to make a note of. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, there are about 117 Trinitarian texts. Now, that's a lot. 117 Trinitarian texts. And, uh, we need to understand that. Now, let's get into some of these Trinitarian texts because that would be helpful for us uh, in understanding what we mean by Trinitarian texts. Well, first of all, we want to go to the very first book in the Bible, the very first book in the Bible, that's Genesis. There are two books in the Bible that you should never have a problem with, and that's Genesis and Revelation and Finding. Um, so Genesis chapter one, verse 26, Genesis, Genesis chapter one, verse 26. And now it says, and this is about the creation of man. Now, let me say that again. This is about the creation of man. And God said, let us, that's the Hebrew plural, let us. He didn't say, let me, let I, but let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Let us. Now, this is a glimpse right now, the first glimpse in the Bible of the Trinity, the very first glimpse of the Trinity. Make a note of that. Let us. Now, some try to argue that this let us is referring also to the angels being a part of the this. No, because this has to do with the creator. That's God. Jesus is the creator. Father is the creator. Holy Spirit. And we're going to learn that later on with these Trinitarian texts. So this is the first Revelation regarding a glimpse of the Trinity. The second uh, revelation regarding the Trinity is found with the Tower of Babel. Where is that found? In Genesis 11, verse 7. Genesis 11, verse 7. Well, let me back up. I want to say that's the third. There is a second one, and uh, I jumped ahead here. 
there's a second one. The first one is Genesis 1, 26, but the second one is Genesis 3 and 22. Genesis 3 and 22. If you look in your Bibles at Genesis 3 and 22, and I will read it to you, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Uh, this is one of the reasons why God had to move them out of the garden of Eden, because uh, even in a corrupt state, if they would have ate of the tree of knowledge, they would have lived forever. So God had to drive them out in order to fulfill his promise that you would surely die. Now, so this is the second revelation of the let us. You see that there? It says in Genesis 3 and 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us. One of us who? This is talking about a glimpse of the Trinity again. Now the third uh, revelation of the Trinity is the Tower of Babel. And this is Genesis 11 and verse 7. Genesis 11 and verse 7. So we want to encourage you to go in your Bibles to Genesis 11 and verse 7. What does it say there? Go to, let us go down and therefore confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. <clears throat> so here you have again <clears throat> the Trinity, a glimpse of the Trinity bringing judgment upon the people building the Tower of Babel. This is where you have the first let us in terms of Genesis 1 and 26, the second let us, Genesis 3, 22, and the third let us in Genesis 11 and verse 7. Now, where is the fourth let us? There is a fourth let us. You say, where is that, Dr. Buckner? Well, turning your Bibles to Isaiah, and your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. It says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. So here is the fourth us glimpse of the Trinity. Now, these are very powerful revelations of the Trinity. Now, I want to conclude by sharing with you that the word us is pretty much ended in terms of the Trinity, but the revelation of the three together is constantly being revealed throughout the uh, Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to get into all of those three together, but let me kind of give you an example before we close. Uh, also in the book of Isaiah, chapter uh, 48, Isaiah chapter 48, and if you go in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 48, verses 16 and 17, Isaiah chapter 48, verses 16 and 17, I want to conclude on this note, and it says, 
verse 16, come ye near unto me. Hear, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that was, there am I. And now the Lord God and his spirit has sent me. Now, this is powerful revelation of the trini Trinity together. You say, where is that? Well, the, the Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I, this is talking about Jesus, have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there am I. Now, anytime you got the I am's or I am, am I, you have like the, uh, the Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is like a type of John the gospel. Gospel of John, because you got I am's all over the place, and that's referring to Jesus. And here you have the am I and I that's speaking of Jesus. Now, where is the Father in the next part of this verse? And now, the Lord God, Yahweh, this is referring to Yahweh, this is the Father, but where's the Spirit? And His Spirit has sent me now. This is powerful. This is the Trinity in this verse, Trinitarian text. Now, if you look at this, you'll find throughout the Old Testament that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together throughout, but they're not using the word us. It's about four times the word us is you, and then you, they, they, the writer figures you got it now. This is referring to the Trinity. So then you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament together, just like you have it in the New Testament. Now look at verse 17. I'm going to close on this. Thus says the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Now, it says the Holy One. The Holy One. Isn't that interesting? You got the the Trinitarian text in verse 16, and then you have in verse 17, the Holy One, the one God. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Let me conclude in saying this to you. If you are ignorant of the Trinity, and if you are denying the Trinity, this prayer is for you right now. I want you to say this with me in your heart. Dear God, forgive me for being ignorant of your word. Forgive me for being ignorant of your nature, essence, and being. Forgive me for denying your truth of who you are. I accept you right now as my Lord and Savior and as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in my life. He that has an ear, let him hear the message tonight on Trinitarian texts throughout the Bible. Brother Gary. All right, well, it's time for us to take that commercial break. We'll be right back with more of Contending for the Faith. You're listening to Contending for the Faith on AM 1100 KFAX, The Spirit of the Bay. Welcome back to Contending for the Faith with your host, Bay Area pastor, lecturer, counselor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. We want to thank all of you 
who have been diligently praying for this ministry. We we know that it's a prayer-driven situation. We Without your prayers, we definitely wouldn't be on the air as long as we have been. And so we thank you. And we also want to thank those who have partnered with us financially over the years. This is a totally listener-supported ministry. And without your financial support, once again, we would not be on the air. And so we can't help but thank you enough for those of you who have partnered with us in this vital area. Uh, it cost us 400 a week to remain on the air, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, right now we owe $130, and so we want to retire that debt. We need your help to do so. And there's two ways that you can donate. First one is simply write a check or money order to Contending for the Faith, Post Office Box 553 Tiburon, California, 94920. That's Contending for the Faith, P.O. Box 553 Tiburon, spelled T-I-B-U-R-O-N, California, 94920. The second way is so much easier. Just go online to contendingfaith.org. That's contendingfaith.org. And click on the donate button. And you will be a blessing for time and eternity. It's so important that you continue to pray for us and that you continue to consistently give to the ministry so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do. All right. Dr. Buckner, are you ready to go to the callers? Uh, yes, let's uh, do that. Looking forward to that. Oh, you know, before we do that, I just want to say uh, thank you to all of you who had uh, prayed for me regarding my colonoscopy test. And I just want to say God is so good that the test came back negative. And matter of fact, I don't have to get any more tests for 10 years. So we just rejoice. Thank you. Can't thank you enough for your prayers, for that good report. God is so good. So I just want to say a heartfelt thank you to the listening audience and, and thank you for your prayers. Amen. Let's go to our first caller. Uh, I guess we have Greg on the line. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm the one that called you about the Avenger of Blood. Yes. Right. How, how you doing, my brother? I appreciate you All calling right, back. Brother. How you doing? Well, we're blessed. I wanted to uh, comment more on that, but our time ran out. So okay. uh, le let me elaborate more upon that for you. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, the uh, a lot of people have uh, talked about, as you mentioned, uh, yeah. what is this Avenger of Blood and what is this uh, concept all about? And, uh, and is this concept uh, in the Bible? And believe it or not, it is in the Bible. Uh, the uh, Avenger of Blood is in the Bible. And it's interesting that a lot of uh, movies today, like the Avengers and all that stuff, they get yeah. a lot of their ideas from the Bible, but they twist it all up in oh, their yeah, own sure. sick way. But uh, what is an avenger of blood uh, in the Bible? And I want to just say this, that uh, in the Bible, an avenger of blood is a person uh, legally responsible for carrying a vengeance when a family member has been unlawfully killed or murdered. The avenger of blood is usually a nearest a male relative that has been murdered, uh, uh, murdered by uh, someone else. So, uh, so a relative within the family, especially a male, uh, if uh, another male 
has killed a relative, like for instance, a brother. And this kind of like goes all the way back pretty much to uh, Genesis chapter four. You know, yeah. uh, when Cain had killed Abel, he went yeah. on a run. And yet uh, there was uh, uh, people going after him, but God was showing mercy to him. But it talks about the word vengeance and the word vengeance, another word for avenger of blood. And that's the way they had it set up uh, back then, because uh, even in the Mosaic law, it allowed vengeance to killings carried out by the avenger of blood. So it was a relative and, you know, brothers in a family uh, didn't put up with uh, another brother being brutally killed and they went after that particular individual. So you can see this in Numbers chapter 35 because a lot of people say, well, you're talking about this, Dr. Buckner, where is it at in the scripture? Well, you look at Numbers chapter 35 and 19, make sure you write it down, and also verses 26. 26 through 27. So Numbers chapter 35, verse 19, and also verses 26 through 27. And Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19, and verses 11 through 12. And uh, then you also see uh, this pretty much being meted out uh, with the uh, Genesis 9 and, and 5 through 6. Whosoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. That's an avenger of blood. Now, uh, the word, uh, let me kind of just elaborate upon this a little bit more. Uh, the word translate avenge in Hebrew is related to the word for redeem or reclaim or restore. And so uh, as a representative of God and the family, the avenger of blood redeemed or reclaimed the blood of a relative by killing the original blood shedder. Now, uh, so, and now this, this other point here that I need to make as well, uh, that God had even given the um, government uh, in uh, Jesus' day uh, promises and work to punish the evildoer so we see this in First Thessalonians 4 and 6, uh, and God has also appointed the government authorities to execute vengeance on uh, his behalf. So we see this in Romans chapter 13 and 4. But lastly, uh, that uh, we see uh, in uh, the book of Revelation, uh, this is very interesting, uh, that in the book of Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, and chapter 19 and 2, uh, it talks about, uh, the scripture says that God is portrayed as the avenger of blood. And it says, rejoice you nations with his people, for he will avenge the blood. Now that's the word, notice that the word avenge, he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and his people. So we see that in Revelation 6 and 10 and Revelation 19 and 2. So hopefully that gives some additional insight to uh, what the word avenger of blood is. And now you have clarification and revelation from the word of God. When Judas hung himself, was that a true repentance? And did he have a change of heart? I would say that 
uh, it was a sorrow uh, for what he what he had did, but not a true repentant spirit. Uh, he yeah. didn't uh, because if he had a true repentant spirit, uh, he wouldn't have committed suicide. And secondly, uh, if he had a true repentant spirit, he would have did what Peter did. Peter wept bitterly. Now, the reason why I say he didn't have a true repentant spirit because of this main factor, this main purpose, is that the scripture says, and you can kind of look at the gospels, uh, several of the gospels says that Satan entered Judas and Judas went out and hung himself. Now, a true believer, Satan cannot enter into. He can oppress, but he can't possess. We know this from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Anyone try to defile the temple of God, him will God destroy. So the fact that Satan was able to enter into Judas, and then right after that, he went, went and hung himself, shows us that the sorrow or the, re, the, the word repentance can mean several different things. It can mean a sorrow for what you did, but also it can mean a, a montanoye, which is an about face like Peter did. He, he literally really repented. So the word repentance can take on different meanings. So you have to know what the meaning is in relationship to Judas Iscariot. You have a good one now. Well, hopefully that helps you out. You have a good one. Thank you for your good question and your call. All yes. right. Bye-bye. God bless you. You know, just in addition to that, that uh, the Avenger of Blood, one of the reasons why Israel had to establish those cities of refuge, because if someone was uh, accidentally murdered or accidentally killed, rather, uh, they set up these cities of refuge where they could flee to and have asylum from the Avenger of Blood. Absolutely. And that is a very true point that you're raising as well. So thank you for bringing that out, because mm -hmm. under the uh, Mosaic law, uh, it regulated the actions of the Avenger of Blood by providing cities of ref refuge mm -hmm. for the accused. So right. an individual who committed manslaughter or unintentional accidental killings of mm -hmm. a person to find sanctuary in uh, six designated cities. So they had like six different cities. Six different ones, right. Go and to find refuge because that was God's way of uh, bringing forth true justice. Uh, to, and we need that today as well. Amen. So thank you <laughs> for bringing that out because that's an important point in relationship to the uh, Avenger of Blood. Right, right. Well, Amen. We're ready to go to another caller. Yeah, let's do that. All right. We're going to go to uh, Rick on line one. Hey, Brother Rick, how are you doing? I am blessed. How about yourself? Well, we're truly blessed as well. It's always good to hear your voice. Uh, what's on your heart tonight? I got an interesting question about something I've heard since I was uh, very young. Mm -hmm. Where does it what's say that? in the scriptures that the lion shall, shall sleep with the lamb? And what is the significance of it? Oh, okay. That's a that's a very good uh, question. Uh, we, we, like you said, from a childhood, and even now uh, today, we hear that that phrase: "The lion uh, will shall lay with the you know the the, the lamb." Well, 
the thing that's interesting about this, uh, and and I, I must uh, make a correction regarding uh, this uh, this historical information that people give out on this, that uh, it, the scriptures does not say that the lion shall lay down with the lamb. Uh, that's something that people have uh, misinterpreted with the scriptures and given people the wrong information. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 11 yeah. and verse right. 6, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, it says, and the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. So uh, people need to change up the word lion and replace it with the wolf because uh, we even hear sermons on this today, but I'm saying to myself, it's just very clear in the Bible, but what happens oftentimes is we let tradition override the truth of Scripture. So the two T's, tradition can override the first T, which is truth. The truth should override tradition, and we see this in a lot of denominations in the Roman Catholic Church, but uh, the significance of all this when it talks about this in uh, this passage, uh, Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 64 and 65, is talking about the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, and uh, when there will be peace during that thousand years, and Satan will be bound, and people, uh, many will turn to God, but you say to yourself, why doesn't most people do? <laughs> because the flesh hasn't been bound. The devil has, but not the flesh. So hopefully that helps out, Brother Rick. We have about a minute before the commercial, but hopefully that helps out because I wanted to make that correction that it should the lion should be replaced with the wolf. Amen. I, I, I checked that out myself. All right. Good, good. Amen. Well, let's have a uh, moment of prayer for you real quick, and then we're going to get to our let's next. Continue, uh, let's continue to pray for my mother. Pray okay. for your mother? Well, okay. So, Lord, we just thank you for Brother Rick and his good questions, and we pray that you continue to keep him in good health, continue to encourage him, and continue to to uh, bless his mother with, with good health. And most importantly, we pray for her salvation, Lord, that she would come to a saving knowledge of you. And we thank you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, it's time for us to take that commercial break. Our phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. That number is one 888 F O R K F A X. That's one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Don't be shy. Pick that phone up and let us know what's on your mind. We'll be right back with more of Contending for the Faith. You're listening to Contending for the Faith on AM 1100 KFAX, the spirit of the bay. If you have questions about your faith in Christ, theology, doctrine, or the cults, call us now, 888-FOR-KFAX. That's 888-367-5329. Welcome back to Contending for the Faith with your host, Bay Area pastor, lecturer, counselor, and expert on the cults. Dr. Jerry L. Buckner, I'm Gary Bell. Once again, our phone lines are open. We want to hear from you tonight. That number is 1-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. That's one 367 5329 Don't be shy. 
pick that phone up and let us know what's on your mind. Once again, that number is one 888 And we just want to thank all of you who have been praying for contending for the faith and all of you who have so generously stepped up to the plate to partner with us financially here at Contending for the Faith. It costs us 400 a week to remain on the air. And uh, right now we have a deficit of $130. We need to retire that that deficit and we need your help. And uh, there's two ways you can give. One, send a check or money order to Contending for the Faith. Post Office Box 553, Tiburon, California. Uh, the zip code is 94920. That's Contending for the Faith. P.O. Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. The second way is so much easier. Just go online to contendingfaith.org, contendingfaith.org. Click on the donate button, and there you go. You'll be a blessing for time and eternity. And we just want to express our thanks to the listening audience for your prayers and your continuous financial support. It's such a blessing to know that so many people out there have been praying for, for us and are praying for us, and that there's so many people that have generously stepped up to the plate to hit a home run for contending for the faith. And so we appreciate your prayers and we appreciate your giving and partnership with us. All right, Dr. Buckner, ready to go back to the phone lines? Yes, let's do that. Looking forward to it. We got CC waiting with a follow-up on, he's got some homework. Let's see if he did his homework. Yes, yes, CC. How are you doing? Make oh, sure you doing? don't be don't be talking about the dog ate it either. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice, brother CC, and I appreciate you following up on my uh, little homework assignment that I uh, gave to you. Uh, did you come up with a few additional things uh, on Nero? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I came up with some, some things. Okay, what did you come up with? Uh, what did you come up with? Share a few minutes with us or so forth. Okay, by the way, in induction, I know that in the con- in the New Testament context, we have Julius Caesar, we have Augustus Caesar, we have Tiberius, then we have Caligula, and then we have Claudius, and then next after that is Nero. Nero ruled from about the uh, he, he he began to rule from the year um, fifty four to sixty eight. Uh, Nero became emperor in Rome in the year 54. He was only 16 years old, so there's not really a lot about his early life that we could discuss, but he became emperor at that time. He was born in the year 37. That would be just after Caligula had became the emperor. And as we may know that Nero, he was the son of Agrippina the Younger, who was the sister of Caligula. And so Nero had a very strong family connection. And Claudius had married as his fourth wife, Agrippina, the younger. And she had Nero from a prior marriage. And Nero was the older than the son of Claudius, which is a kid by the name of Britannicus. And Claudius had favored Nero, but after he had seen uh, Nero began to begin a little bit bizarre, a little bit strange, a little bit unstable. He saw fit to have his son um, to be the one to take the throne. Well, this didn't please, please Agrippina, so Agrippina slipped Nero some um, some, some poisonous uh, mushrooms, and then he died. Mm-hmm. And so 
under immense pressure, Agrippina had had Nero, had had um, Claudius, not Claudius, but had Nero adopted. So by Nero being adopted, this would put him in a head position to be the one to take the throne rather than Britannicus. And after years, Nero was was already increasingly showing signs of um, some emotional unraveling and, and a little bit because she began to be a little bit concerned about the how his behavior patterns was. And Nero's a teenager. He was um, under the toolage and guidance and counsel of some very uh, good advisors who were good in political matters. One guy was a name by a Stoic philosopher. His his name was Seneca. Seneca was a guy who was, who was also um, a guy who was very he was a virtuous man. He was he was disciplined. He uh, believed in reason over uh, passion. And he was a very well-known uh, man, uh, a historic philosopher in the first century. He was very well-respected in Rome. And he also was under another guy by the name of Burrus, who was a praetorian. Praetorian, and he was the head of the praetorians. But then he was also under his brother's uh, guidance of Agrippina, and so who was a pretty sharp cookie. So he had some pretty good advisors under him. But Nero began to show some more signs of unraveling as in, in his his behavior became more and more strange. And a guy by the name of Tacitus tells us that Nero would occasionally go out in the streets at night with his friends, and they would vandalize the city, and they would throw bricks through the walls of the, sh- of, of the centers there. And when the police would show up to arrest him, he would pull out his art garments and go, oh, that's Nero. And they were re- required to bow down to him rather than to uh, arrest him. And that gave him a lot of joy because he was able to would, to be able to execute this kind of behavior with a complete, complete immunity. And then Nero also saw himself as an entertainer. He, 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 so he viewed, so he had people, he would throw these concerts in uh, Rome where people would show up to these concerts and he would, they would be forced to stay there for hours and listen to him play. And he was so notorious with this that people weren't allowed to go to the bathroom. And Tacitus tells us there were stories to where, where women were actually having babies. Mm-hmm. in the concert because they weren't permitted to leave. And then just to fast forward, of it, then we have in 64 the great fire of Rome that took place and where the city of Rome had burned down. At this time, Nero was out of town. He was about 30 or 40 miles out of town at this time. There were already little suspicions that he might be behind, be behind his fire. But Nero, when he got the news, he hastened back to Rome, and he came off as a savior, as the, the like a like a nearly an early Red Cross, where he came and he um, he gave people food and he provided temporary shelter and those kind of things, and it, so it shed him gave him some points. But then after a while, the city continued to burn, and after after about two weeks, after the city would burn, he had these elaborate plans with intricate details spelled out how he wanted the city to burn. He, had, he even wanted to rename the city Peropolis. And at that time, they also they, they got wind that this had to be Nero who was behind this. Right. So Cece, Nero, Cece, let me just say this. It's, a, it's really some good stuff you're sharing, really good stuff. And I, I'm really touched by the homework you've done. And I would love to hear more and more about this, but I'm just touched by your research and your study. And what I would recommend that you do, because we just got some more callers, we want to get to them. What I recommend that you do 
is uh, write it up on some paper, uh, type it up, and I want to hear the rest of what you have, and then uh, uh, send it to Contending for the Faith. I'd love to see what you, the research that you've done, but I'm very touched and impressed with what, you, the, what you've done. I say he gets an A. Amen. I see he gets an <laughs> A as well. Thank you for sharing that. So would you be willing to do that? Yes, I would be willing to do that. And I just wanted to just say this before I get off, too. It, 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 for people who may be listening and hear these things and think about church history, it, seemed, it would seem like everything would be spinning out of control. But as we know, in Revelation chapter 4, Christ is the one that was on, on his throne. He's in control. He works everything after the council of his own will. So uh-huh. in a nutshell of it all, we should all be the ones to bow the knee to Jesus, because no matter how things get out of control, Christ is on his throne, and he's the one in control. That's why I showed him in Revelation having a chain with an angel at the end of it. That angel, that's Jesus Christ, and he's in control. The devil's on a leash. It can't do anything without his power of control. So we all, all should bow the knee to Jesus Christ, because he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and our great high priest. It's a substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ becoming a propitiation for our sins and shedding his blood on the cross, and we are to bow the knee to him. Amen. All right. Amen. Appreciate, appreciate all of that. And God bless you, brother. We're going to get your prayer request next time because we're going to get to these other callers. But please uh, write that together and send it over to us. We appreciate that. All right. All righty, Garrett. Let's get to our uh, next Let's call. go to Jermaine. Is holding. Yes, brother Jermaine. Oh, yeah, I'm here. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Good. I'll, uh, I know you guys are pressed for time, so let me get my question real quick. Um, yeah, just I see a lot of people wearing religious pieces, like uh, I see some of the rappers and some people I know wearing, uh, I guess they call it Jesus pieces, where it's uh, like a, an image of Jesus Christ with gold and diamond-encrusted hair and beard and, you know, crucifixes. I'm just wondering, are these people actually, you know, being more disrespectful than anything else? Because a lot of people wearing these, these uh, pieces of jewelry seem to be the ones out, you know, doing everything they're not supposed to do. And that's a condensed version. I know we're pressed for time. So I'll just, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, let, let me give you a couple of points on this uh, in a nutshell. Uh, thank you for your concern. Uh, God uh, cautions us and his people against uh, these forming signs and figures with which uh, he doesn't get the honor by it. And you should look, you can look at uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 8, uh, as well as 1 Corinthians 10 and 14 and 1 Peter 3 and 3. So that's 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 14, Deuteronomy 6 and 8, and then 1 Peter 3 and 3. And I would always say this, that uh, it, it, you know, there were pagans who wore jewelry and crosses and used it as pagan religious symbols and the Babylonians were famous for popularizing uh, the cross to them uh, and associating it to the god of fertility, uh, Tammuz. And so uh, my thing is this, in a nutshell, that uh, any type of jewelry that we have on, even rings or crosses, it should always be to the glory of God. We should, I wear a cross and it's always, I'm using it as a witness to the lost world that Jesus died. And I, and I wear a bear cross. I mean, I don't put a little man on there or a little Jesus on there. 
uh, he's alive. And so I use it as a witness. So I would say people need to look at their motives and it's God getting the glory and all of that. That's the thing that we need to say to them. Who are you glorifying in doing this? And we see a lot of rappers glorify themselves, their ego, and other people too that's non-rappers. So that's what I would say in a nutshell. And you know what? I want to talk about this more because this is a real good subject matter. Can we pick this up again? Because we want to get to a, one more call before the program is over. But I'd like to discuss this more with you and give you give you a little more time on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, more willing, we'll, we'll speak next week. Okay, sounds good. Thank you for your call. Brother uh, Gary, let's try to squeeze in our last caller. Okay, let's quickly go to Ed. How you doing, Ed? Oh, I'm here. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, what's on your Thank heart, you brother? My call. Yes, I, I wanted some, um, some advice on how to respond in the, you know, in the professional field. I think if this discussion had happened, in you know, amongst believers or quasi believers, I wouldn't have had a problem responding. But I work in social services, and there's a strong push for you know the rights of LGBTQI and all this type of thing. And I just uh, this was the first time this past week where I um, felt powerless to say something in that context. And I just wonder what are some ways of responding to when people say. Oh, we don't want these children to live with this couple because they are same-sex. Uh, um, because they are pastors, and we know that those pastors they always say that you know that people that live a certain lifestyle don't have um, you know much value. Those type of things. I'm just wondering how can I respond in you know in a professional kind of way? Right, because you're working in a, a secular setting. Is that correct? Absolutely. Very left, very secular. Yeah. See, that makes it very hard because uh, if you were working in a Christian setting, uh, it would be a whole different ball game. But now that you are working in a secular setting, it's very, very difficult. And uh, if you uh, stand up uh, the first thing and, 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 and express your feelings, um, what they want to do is cancer culture. They want to, that's the big thing now. They want to fire you and, 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 and put you out of the job and that sort of thing. But um, mm -hmm. I, I really do believe that uh, as a Christian, uh, you, if you know somebody that you have uh, favor with, you, you know them there and, 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 and there's somebody that you can talk to and you know that they will respect your feelings, I think you should uh, sit down at the table with them and express that, you know, you are a Christian and uh, that, you know, you 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 have some uh, Christian values uh, and yeah. uh, they will let you know, uh, well, if you, they can, first thing they're going to say, well, if you have a problem with this, maybe you should seek another job somewhere else. And, Sometimes people do that. Sometimes people uh, say it's a little bit too much for me to work in a setting like that. And then what they do, they pursue a Christian foster care setting. So what you might want to do is uh, seek for, for wisdom and knowledge to uh, try to connect with uh, some 
Christian organizations that do foster care and then gradually work your way out of that because it's going to get so bad, it's going to get a lot worse with that. But what I'd like to do is talk to you more about this. Uh, can you call back again uh, next week uh, and yes. we can elaborate upon this more? Perfect. What, That'll be what, good. What time is the program? What time is the program? Something like every Saturday. Every Saturday from seven to eight p.m. And okay. what we're going to okay. do uh, is have Gary to uh, pray for you right now, and uh, we that he will lift you up in this situation. But next week when you call, I'm going to uh, have some more uh, ideas for you, as well as maybe have some referrals for you as well. Thank you. So we just we just lift up Brother Ed tonight. We pray, Lord God, that you. Protect him, uh, give him supernatural wisdom, creativity, imagination, and favor on his job. That you, Lord God, would um, help him, and that that is, and give him favor with his employers, with his coworkers. And um, we pray that you give him the words to say by your Holy Spirit to be able to speak the truth in love with boldness. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would continue to use him where you've placed him, Lord God, and that you would give him that favor and give him. Uh, that sense of, of boldness that comes from knowing you and that you, Lord God, would go before him and make his path straight, that you would rout his enemies, that, that no weapon form would prosper against him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, we've come to the end of tonight's exciting broadcast. We'd like to thank Vince, our engineer, and you, our listening audience, for being part of tonight's program. It's important for us to hear from you, your letters and cards. They're an encouragement to us, so please drop us a note. Let us know how the program has blessed you. You can reach us at Contending for the Faith, P.O. Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. Please keep us in your prayers until next week at this time when we once again give you the opportunity to ask questions, make comments, and dialogue with Dr. Buckner, always with one purpose in mind, to equip, exhort, and better enable you to contend for the faith. I'm Gary Bell. May God richly bless you.